You're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast, where we take one idea off of the Focus Compounding website and share it with you here on the podcast for free. To get access to other ideas and on investing in general, go to www.focuscompounding.com and be sure to sign up using the word podcast as a promo code to get $10 off your monthly subscription price forever. Alrighty, we are back. My name is Andrew Kuhn, sitting alongside my partner here at Focus Compounding, Mr. Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Andrew. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you very much for asking. Today is February 6th. A little bit of um, uh, interesting things going on in the market, so we decided that we would do a special podcast and you know, and not and sort of go a little bit off our schedule just to talk about everything that's going on in the market. Um, obviously, everyone that's listening, I'm sure you're all aware, uh, but Monday, February 5th, uh, the Dow was down over 1,200 points mm-hmm. at one point. Um, or 12, it finished 1,200 points. At one point, it was actually 1,500 yeah. points at its, at, at its lowest point. Um, lots of interesting things, mm-hmm. I, I mean, to say the least. Um, uh, today, the market snapped back a little bit, and it closed... Uh, the S&P 500 closed up 1.74%, so uh, making some of those losses back. And, of course, we're no macro guys at all. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it's certainly um, something pretty interesting and that we haven't seen for a very long time. Right. Um, what are your general thoughts on it? Uh, my general thoughts are that it's wasting volatility again. Uh, and we haven't seen that for a really long time, so people are reacting to that. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're at much higher levels in terms of points, so people like to talk about it down a thousand points or something. When yeah. we've seen drops like this in the past, you know, it was actually funny. I, I forget who it was. They they were talking about this is the biggest movement or whatever because the Dow dropped a thousand points in one mm-hmm. day. When it's like really on a percentage basis, which is the only number that matters. Yeah, it actually was not the biggest day. Or maybe it just doesn't. I think mm-hmm. CNN actually was posting about it or something like that. Yeah, some of this looks about the same size. I think in terms of uh, what we saw when there was talk of Greece leaving the euro, maybe um, six seven years ago now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just it's certainly interesting, and if at anything, um, you know, for me, it, it's just really it just sort of reinstills that, you know, obviously trees don't grow to the sky, you know mm-hmm. I mean? Like the past eight years or even nine years, uh, eight years has just been nowhere, but, um, pretty much going up every single day. And right. there's been really no volatility. And it's so interesting because what's been the crowded trade, you know, forever, it's just been shorting volatility. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure everyone has saw, I think it was XIV, which was the credit Suisse, um, volatility index. I mean, that like blew up overnight and that was, you know, what everybody was, uh, uh, was tweeting about, but it's, you know, it's pretty crazy out there. And, um, you know, to your point, I mean, we're not even, even really down that much and it was kind of like Armageddon and a lot of people were, um, you know, I don't want to say freaking out, but it's, uh, those yeah. are definitely big moves. Yeah. I wrote a post on the blog, um, I think December 19th saying that I thought we were in a bubble. Yep. And I think, uh, as of today, we probably had a about the exact same price as when I wrote that. Yeah. So there's been, I mean, we, we gained enough in uh, January that this is basically just puts you back to the same levels of right before Christmas. It's kind of funny when you think about like the investor psychology where it's like back in December, you like you could be like, oh, okay, we're, we're feeling fine right here. But then when you go January, then you're back to mm-hmm. that spot where you were all of a sudden. It's like, holy cow, like how did this happen? Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Was, and I was looking through a lot of different stocks um, that we talked about in the last year. Uh-huh. And almost none of them are near the lows for the year. Uh, so even in, uh, before today, uh, they're not, they're nowhere near where they're their cheapest. You don't see that with Omnicom or Cheesecake Factory or uh, Greenbrick Partners mm-hmm. or Hostess Brands. Many of them were cheaper in October yeah. than they are now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, you know, do you think that's why 
over time? I know we, we've spoken about it, but maybe so you could hit on that a little bit for the viewers. But I feel like that's why I'm so focused on buying, um, you know, businesses that I think are cheap because mm-hmm. I feel like every single time that I go into a business, a lot of the times, um, there's some sort of, you could call it short-term issue, short-term, um, you know, just difference. It's just short-term whatever going on within the company, which sort of makes the company sell off and then creates right. an interesting buying opportunity. But I'm so focused always on buying companies cheap because I feel like inherent, like you have some sort of inherent hedge to the overall market, right? It's like, you know, you could tell somebody, oh, I was up uh, X percent last year and they could say, oh, well, you had the Trump bump helping you out. But it's like, well, actually, maybe not so much because all the companies that I'm in, they don't really follow the Trump bump. They experienced, you know, they didn't experience all the runs. They were, you know, pretty dirt cheap and, and there was blood in the streets when you know i invest in it do you think that that sort of makes a difference in yeah in a big investing? drop in a big drop yeah. that's sustained for a long time it does um i started investing in the 90s you were not investing then yet no. but um <laughs> so i've seen at well at least one born drop. in 96 yeah so. so i've probably seen two uh big drops from uh that you have not lived through um because i don't think you're investing in uh 2007 2008 um but in the late 90s, I invested in some things and uh, really didn't feel any of the effects of that. Uh, there was a huge decline in the NASDAQ and in a lot of stocks, and I didn't see any of that because the stocks I owned were so cheap. Uh, that was easy to do then. It was harder to do in 2008, and I think it's hard to do now because I'm not seeing a lot of cheap stocks. Yeah. So, okay, so the other day, right, mm-hmm. when you wake up and you see, what time did you get up? Uh... I don't know. I didn't notice the market being a, um, uh, I would say. I feel like you're so like, you just like, you're like less uh, connected than a lot of I'm people. I'm not connected much. Yeah. Which is good. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, th- I probably know, I noticed it before the, it dropped maybe close to 500,000 points or something within half an hour or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, there was a big drop within about fi- about 15 minutes. Yeah. Drop. Mm-hmm. And I was aware that it was down yeah. a lot. But maybe I was aware that it was down five or six hundred points, yeah. um, and it was only when there was a big drop in fifteen minutes or so yeah. that I really yeah. I think it was. Paid it, attention. I forget. Uh, it, at one point, it was down like fifteen hundred, mm-hmm. and I think a majority of that. I forget the exact statistic. It happened within like fifteen minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's crazy. And that's similar to what happened when I was talking about um, concerns about Greece. Well, how did you um, feel about it? Like, did you even get? A little bit nervous when you're seeing everything? I'm, it's a good thing when it drops like that for me. Yeah. It gets me excited about looking for stocks. So you don't even, do you even, I mean, it's kind of tough not to, do you put the black tape over the screen or what? I mean, is it, you know, over the P&L or? Um, no, I would say that. Uh, it really didn't bother me either, yeah, I will okay. say. Like, well, I don't, and and yeah. the biggest position that I own. I was just um, having a lot of fun on Twitter reading everybody's yeah. tweets and stuff. But yeah. Yeah, no, the biggest position that I own uh, declined even more than that. I'd say at some point, NACO was probably down between Friday and um, Monday was probably down 20% almost. At, like at that point that you're talking about where you yeah. saw that huge drop, at probably down 20%. And that's half my portfolio probably at that moment. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a loss of like 10% yeah. of everything that I own in one stock mm-hmm. in two days. Uh, but it had nothing to – that doesn't worry me also because the market's not reacting to anything about NACO. Yeah. And nothing that should be causing all stocks to drop should be causing that stock to drop. Mm-hmm. You know, it, but its businesses doesn't have anything to do with that. Yeah. It's different than when we talked about something like NIC where um, – you'd really lost the Texas contract. Mm -hmm. And so if you owned that business, then you really lost something of real value. Yeah. What's so interesting to me as well is how fast risk can happen. 
you know, like you, you, every single day, it's just like a grind up, grind up, grind up. And then risk is just like, boom, a snap of the finger. And it's just like, holy cow. Like, and, and you know. Well, it's because of this sort of secondary, like, herd thinking yeah. in terms of it. Because that risk is there every day when you have a Schiller P that's 30-something. Right? Sure. When you have really high prices. Yeah. Because the reason for that is when it does drop, who's going to – everyone's buying on the momentum of what's happening and on the positive thoughts that they have about these businesses and the economy and things like that. They're not buying because they see bargains. So when things do drop, there's not a lot of people who are going to step in and buy. You know, I'm a value investor. Mm-hmm. Do you imagine how far most stocks would have to drop for me to be interested in them in terms of the value? Yeah. So mm-hmm. people like that aren't going to come in and buy. Have you? Are you? Do you have any um, names that you're currently watching to sort of take advantage I'm of watching, the volatility? Yeah, I'm watching everything that we looked at last year. Uh-huh. Um, we did a podcast about NIC. Yeah. It did not move at all through all of this stuff. Yeah. It was the flash stock you could imagine. <laughs> Um, and many of the stocks that I talked about being interested in last year are more expensive than the levels I was interested in them. So like, uh, I mentioned Omnicom at $65 would be interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that it got ever below 70 during all of this. Yeah. Yeah. When, um, I'm trying to think Copart is a mm-hmm. company that I know we've privately, we've spoken about a lot, but that was a business that I always say Copart's one of those companies that you wait for a cheaper price, mm-hmm. you know, a good company, you wait for a cheap price, but you never get it because it just goes up every single day. Yeah. So that was a company as of, I mean, yesterday I, I kind of was really following. And then, you know, of course the market, uh, you know, ripped today. So that really didn't really, uh, matter. But yeah, there's a couple companies that I've been watching as well. I know Tencent was getting slapped a little bit. Um, I think it actually finished up today. Mm-hmm. Um, JD.com, I think pretty much every company. Apple was up like 4%. Uh, but Apple's actually sort of sold off a little bit recently as well, which I thought was pretty interesting. But, um, you know, it's just, what do you, I mean, what do you have any advice for? I mean, did you get a lot of emails from people yeah. about the overall market sell-off? I get a lot of emails from people about yeah, the sell-off. Yeah. And um, a lot of times they want to know how far it's going to drop. And yeah. when's the time you're getting them by? You got a good crystal ball. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, yeah. At the right, what's the right moment to do it? Yeah. Um, which is a weird thing when we think about it because the, what you don't want to experience the decline. Uh, if you think that stock prices are of this stock you want to buy, if you think it's going to be higher at some point, by waiting to buy, you're either getting a better price if mm-hmm. you really believe that. And also, you're saving yourself from watching it go down. And to be honest, I think most people are emailing me about that second one. Yeah. They don't want to have the experience of owning it while it declines by a lot. Honestly, I mean, the way I think about it is you just kind of got to honestly just open up your, your brokerage account or whatever it is, and you just got to do it. I mean, you just got to kind of say, okay, I want to buy Berkshire Hathaway at this price, and I'm just going to put in a good to cancel order mm-hmm. and just, you know, kind of do it. And even if it goes down five or whatever percent afterwards, I mean, if you believe in the long-term durability of the business, I mean, it really doesn't matter. I mean, of course, everyone knows the quote, you know, stocks in, in the short term is a voting machine, voting upon geopolitical events markets moving traders trading you know whatever but in the long term it's a weighing machine now of course when you see nothing but red and extreme volatility that people haven't seen in a long time that gets you know a lot tougher but i mean at the end of the day i mean if you believe in the long-term durability of business you don't care about day-to-day movements sure and, and if it did happen that we had big declines like i talked about the schiller pe to get to levels that i considered normal historically for stocks we'd have to decline about 40 percent from here so that would clearly be a bear market. Yeah. Um, if that happened, we've seen things like that happen. Um, the 1970s into the 1980s is a good example. Um, from a, there was a period where a lot of stocks that were cheap uh, did well 
during that, even though the market overall went sideways and actually in real terms down quite a lot because you had a lot of inflation. Um, th- that's a stock picker's market. And there mm-hmm. was some of that in the early, in the late 1990s through the early 2000s, like um, 90, the buying things in the late 90s and holding it through the early 2000s was very good for value investors. And there'll be more opportunities like that. There haven't been opportunities to outperform the market much by picking individual stocks lately. Yeah, because markets just go nowhere but straight up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know it's it's so interesting. I mean, I mean, do you have any advice for people out there that you know kind of wake up and that volatility is getting to them, and you know they're a little bit nervous or they don't like seeing what they see on their screen? Or yeah, I, this is a good time to see what kind of um, appetite you really have for uh, being invested in the market. Um, you're going to see. I mentioned forty percent decline. Mm-hmm. There's going to be times in your life where you see a fifty percent decline of the things you own. It happens to Berkshire Hathaway. It happens um, in even really good stocks. That's going to happen. And certainly the market could decline by half, and that wouldn't be uh, out of line with where it's traded in the past. So you have to be prepared to see half of your money um, gone in terms of a paper loss. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. And the other thing is a lot of times people talk about the difference between diversification and concentration. But the risk that worries them the most is days like today. And as you saw, diversification doesn't do anything for you. Though. That's what I was thinking about. You know, like diversification. I don't know if that's just something that, um, like, all these big broker firms just really preach a lot. Because mm-hmm. what does that do? That just makes people have more commissions. And maybe back in the day, I mean, most brokers don't get trade or get paid based on commissions per stock sold so much anymore. It's really just like one percent of assets under management. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like a lot of that diversification, everything came from before was just because they wanted people to just to buy a ton of different stocks and, and really just spread that out like that. That's option number one. Mm-hmm. And option number two is the broker doesn't want to get sued. So it's like if you're not going to put 20 to 30% of someone's net worth in one stock, I mean, if, if the stock doesn't, you know, go and like burn to the ground, the broker's not going to get sued. You know, but it's, it's so interesting because that's, that's, a, that's exactly it, right? On days like today, it, diversification or like yesterday, diversification didn't matter. Right. You know, everything went down. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, unless you own some uh, VIX options, the VIX volatility mm-hmm. index, but sure, you know, but that's pretty interesting. I mean, my advice would be honestly, and it's something that I try to keep, you know, imprinted in my brain is that markets, uh, they move a lot faster than real businesses do, you know, and I think, um, you know, when you get certain situations like yesterday, it really comes down to the work that you did in the business to get to the point of where you're not necessarily comfortable. Obviously, no one likes to see a company down, you know, four percent or mm-hmm. six or whatever it was in one day. Mm-hmm. But if again, if you understand and you feel confident in your work, that you did the due diligence to feel pretty comfortable with the long term, um, you know, outlook of a business, then days like today really shouldn't. Um, you know, shouldn't bother you. Of course, it's different when you're if you're managing your own personal money, or yeah. if you're managing money for other people, or what. That's incredibly different. You know, yeah. you get clients that, for example, maybe don't understand what you're exactly doing, so mm-hmm. they just see CNBC and see that the world looks like it's coming to an end. So it's just a lot yeah. scarier. That's a big advantage individuals have. You're not managing money for somebody else. Yeah. So you know what kind of things feel risky to you and what don't. <clears throat> um, think back on these last few days and think about what stocks you felt most confident in while they were all dropping, and what ones you felt the least confident in to try to kind of make an ordered list of what's the sort of thing that if you were going to trim out things that you're worried about, what's on that list? Because there's probably some stocks there you didn't feel um, concerned could possibly uh, decline a lot in terms of their intrinsic value. And those are the ones that you want to hold on to. 
But there may have been some where you thought, oh, why did I buy this in the first place? I don't know how comfortable I feel with this after this kind of decline. And those are the ones to think of um, getting out of. Yeah. So what, what's your theory on why the markets were going parabolic? <laughs> um, my, well, my thinking is it's th- this w- these last few days weren't any more abnormal than the last 12 months sure. or so. Yeah. Uh, they're both abnormal in different ways. And I think what happens, I talked about the, that I think we're in a bubble. And what happens, and I've seen it several times now. Now, why do you think we're in a bubble? Uh, well, price being one of them. Mm-hmm. But the other part being when you're in a bubble, everyone realizes that you're in a bubble. <laughs> but no one admit, wants to admit that you're in a bubble. Yeah, and everyone thinks that up. you should yeah. stay in a little bit longer. Sure. This was true with housing, for instance. No mm-hmm. one really thought that the value of homes was going up 20% a year or something at the end there. But everyone tried to come up with reasons even before the tax cut why all stocks should be worth 25% more than they were mm-hmm. a year before, even though they knew they were pretty expensive. And so that's the sort of thing that happens in a bubble. Um, where And people talk about the risk the um, risk of missing out. Sure. Right? FOMO. Mm-hmm. And I think there was a good interview on WealthTrack with um, Jeremy Grantham, who talked about the possibility of a melt-up and then a meltdown. Yeah. Meaning that stocks are really expensive already, but the way that bubbles normally work is that there's this very big gain in the last part of them. The, it's the biggest gain. It's in a short period of time. And you'll often see in six months you'll be up 50% or something. Mm-hmm. And, and that's pretty common at that last stage. And people don't want to miss out on that. Yeah. Now, what about, like, fundamentally? I mean, take the investor psychology out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, like I said, we're not macro guys or whatever, but do you feel like a lot of what has happened has come from the Fed injecting, you know, trillions of dollars into the market and, and having interest rates at near record lows for I such think, a sustained... I think yeah. it's a sustained part of that. Yeah. So what what's weird is that um, I, I did some research in 2006, 2007, which is sort of my approach of being different from the Schiller approach, but it gets you to the same place. And what you realize is that investors pay up. They extrapolate the recent past into the future when it's at its smoothest. So what will happen is if you beat earnings, like in that case... Earnings were sort of outperforming uh, the long-term trend for about 12 or 13 years in a row in the late 1990s, at the very end there. And once that happens, people start to assign even higher PEs sure. to those earnings, mm-hmm. which doesn't make a lot of sense. You should assign high PEs to the worst earnings in a series, not to the best. Um, so you should be assigning high PEs to something that's sickly at a bad point. Uh, but... What happens with interest rates is I think we've had very low inflation and very low interest rates. We're, we're at a very benign time in terms of the economy. When have you ever had interest rates this low, unemployment this low? Mm. Well, it's, what, to me, it's just what I think is, is kind of a going concern is if, you know, for example, there is like true Armageddon, you know, mm. what's the Fed going to do, right? Because the past, they've already ejected so much into the market, right? And interest rates are already already at record low levels. So I don't want to say they're out of bullets because I'm sure they'll come up with something, maybe, I don't know. But it's almost like, it's just, it's, it, I don't know, like it's, I get kind of nervous when I, I read uh, the Fed minutes or whatever, Janet Yellen, who's obviously not the Fed chairman anymore, but she would just say it should be a non-event when rates rise. And almost like, it's almost like they don't know because they just haven't been down this path before. Yeah, well, they can't do anything if inflation's going up. If inflation yeah. is the reason for the market going down, and I mentioned the 70s before, but you had a lot of inflation um, in wages and you had falling asset prices. I've kind of talked about this a little bit before 
and it's a, um, I don't know if it's a controversial idea, but the Fed is a very, why the Fed does what it does is because it's the one part of the uh, government that can easily do this. Mm-hmm. Not because this is the best way to really, say, raise wages or something like that. If you want to cause inflation, um, you should print money and put it in people's paychecks, sure. especially the poorest people. Mm-hmm. And it'll get spent and it'll go out in the economy. But that's mm-hmm. not how we do things. So the way that the Fed tries to get inflation up to a 2% target or something is going to definitely cause asset prices to go up. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if the – I would say if you look at the stocks that I own, I'm definitely overweight stocks that benefit from inflation uh-huh. and are more protected from inflation because inflation is basically bad for all stocks. And people have gotten this idea that inflation will not. When I talk to people now, they don't want to use a three percent assumption for inflation uh-huh. long term. They want to use two, uh-huh. right? And historically, the Fed funds rate has been a lot higher, and inflation has been a lot higher. Sure. But the assumption now is that the last, you know, um, from 2009 to today, that's normal, and the period before that isn't. And that's the kind of th- thinking that you have in a bubble, is that people start to believe that the r- last 10 years are more normal than the 100 before that or something sure. like that. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like they start to rationalize it or justify it or whatever. Yeah, they forget what happened in the past because they get so used to uh, what they're seeing now, used to the lack of, of risks. Yeah. You know, recent risks feel a lot more frightening to people. Now, when you say that you feel like the stocks you're, you're in are going to benefit or be okay from inflation, yeah. what, what companies are you talking about? Well, NACO's cost plus uh, contracts. Sure, so they're hedged and off fact, in that regard. Yeah, yeah they're indexed to... Uh, um, Do you want to explain that? So obviously we we know about this, but for them... Sure. Um, so their contracts are, they get a certain amount of money per ton of coal that they um, supply their customers with, and that the contracts automatically um, are indexed to a sort of basket of prices that have to do with the things that you use as inputs in a coal mine. So they're tied to things like diesel and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um and the wages of the workers, things like that. So um, then you have uh, BWX Technologies, um, which I guess is my third biggest. Those are cost-plus contracts with the government. Actually, they're, those contracts with the Navy are done in real terms, so they're automatically tied to it. So they're long-term contracts that automatic. The Navy actually uh, budgets for its long-term strategy in real dollars, not nominal dollars. And um, And then Frost actually does benefit from... Higher interest rates, not higher inflation. Of Which, course. yeah, net net, yeah, sure. And that's ninety to ninety-two percent, or something, of my entire portfolio is those. Three. Yeah. So you do have some cash sitting around. There's a little cash, and there's a Japanese stock. Yeah. Which is uh, completely a domestic Japanese stock, so it's not denominated in dollars. It doesn't operate in dollars either. Yeah. Which definitely, I don't know. It's it, like I said, it's it's pretty interesting, and and I know we sort of, I think we talked about it on the podcast, uh, one of the prior ones, but. Um, you know, I think it was Friday. What was the market down Friday? I don't even know. 600, 600, on a percentage basis, what was it? It was like one, one and a half percent, maybe 2%. No, I don't remember. It was, it was somewhere in there, right? Okay. And it was almost like the world was coming to an end. And I think that just shows how far extended we've come when we mm-hmm. have like a, a one to 2% dip in the market and like everyone's kind of freaking out about it on all over C- uh, CNBC or Twitter or whatever, that just shows really how far like we've we've really come. Yeah. Uh, I don't think you'd had a 3% decline in um, about a year or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's very unusual. Um, I mean, do you think, I mean, probably a correction would be healthy. For, I mean, if, if this, if a bull market is going to continue on, right? I mean, wouldn't you think so? Yeah. I mean, I've, what I said before about value investors, about the, um, how do I explain this exactly? Well, let's see. Some of the best stocks that I've, bought 
have been sort of busted growth stocks. Mm-hmm. They, they attract, at first, long-term growth investors. And then at a later point, they really attract momentum uh, traders, really, as they go up. And it's those are the people who hold the stock mm-hmm. at the moment when bad news comes out. Yeah. And then it just falls like a rock until the point where value investors are willing to buy it. Mm-hmm. They get a chance to buy a good business that they never saw before. And I, I think that you have a lot of people in the late stages of a bubble um, that are holding the stock for reasons that don't have to do with price. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, become pretty insensitive to the price being high. People will tell you, well, the prices have been high for such a long time. Maybe things are different. Yeah. You know, maybe that's not so important. So I think that's what happens. You have to get to a point where people will buy the stock for other reasons. People have to be willing to buy a stock for reasons other than it going up. Yeah. I mean, at some point they have to buy it because it's come down. Well, that's what I'm saying. And that's often a different group of people. Yeah. I mean, well, buying a stock simply because it just continues to go up every day. That's not a good investing strategy at all. No, I mean, it's It's kind of like Bitcoin. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it shouldn't matter one way or the other in a sense. I mean, I I wrote something where I talked about in uh, from like, like you mentioned Berkshire Hathaway. Um, Berkshire Hathaway is something that I uh, actually bought in 2009, probably the first week of April, I think. Hmm. That was pretty close to its low point. And what was it trading at? What was it trading? Well, that's complicated. They split the B yeah, sure. since then. But mm-hmm. um, the but I, I'd say it was trading at probably, if you backed out the stock portfolio, maybe a PE of like five Jeez. to the operating part of it. And, of course, the stocks were pretty cheap then mm-hmm. because stocks were at their lowest points. So they were at a very normal level in terms of like a Schiller PE or something. Yeah. So it was really attractive. But um, in the year from that bottom in the market, Probably a lot of people's portfolio, certainly mine, went up 50% or more in those 12 months. Yeah. But that wasn't a concern because you were just at a normal level after that. Mm-hmm. The concern with last year is we were actually at a really high price level already. Mm-hmm. And so that's when it becomes a concern. Yeah. Now, the tax bill did change it for some companies that they really are worth, in some cases, 15 or 20% more. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And that's going to pass on. You no, know I thought was pretty interesting is that there was not one word from Donald Trump. I just no, thought it was pretty was, interesting because yeah. I, I mean, I, I follow him on Twitter and his, his son on Twitter or whatever. And obviously they're always tweeting about like new all time highs and stuff like mm-hmm. that in the markets, but they were silent about, which is probably a good thing that they were mm-hmm. silent, but I just, I thought that was pretty interesting. Well, that's the other thing we should talk about is um, the confidence that people have. So you have yeah. things like unemployment levels, consumer confidence levels. Um, those things are all at, at highs that we haven't seen in since about the early 2000s, mm-hmm. at the very early 2000s, around 2000. And you know, it's interesting not to cut you off, but you know, like I got a couple of texts from people who really don't, they're not investors or anything like mm-hmm. that. Like they don't even follow the markets. They just, you know, obviously saw on the news or whatever. And they're like, why is, why is the market, you know, why is the market falling? Isn't Trump good for the market? And you know, isn't profits all good and stuff like that. And my response was, I mean, yeah, but we're in a, what, eight to nine year bull market and you know, things are, Trees don't grow to the sky forever. You yeah, know? and then also remember what happened when he was elected. The futures were down yeah. by what amount? Everyone said, you know, if he was elected, that that would be a huge drop in the market. Yeah. Of course, then the market went up a lot. Yeah, it was so funny because Mark Cuban he said that if the if um if Donald Trump was elected, that the the stock market would would mm-hmm. crash. He's like, oh yeah, I have no doubt about it, right? Mm-hmm. And then the next day or like uh, next couple months after you know, Trump was elected and the market was just ripping higher and people were tweeting at him, just kind of like throwing his words in his face. Mm -hmm. And he was like, you do realize the bond market's like two to three times Mm -hmm. bigger than the stock market is in which obviously bonds, you know, were were declining or whatever. But I just thought that was so funny. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, people don't have a good, there's, 
often after the fact we find reasons yeah when looking at the news of why this this might happen there's been a lot of news that's have happened good and bad in the last eight years or whatever it hasn't affected stocks much yeah uh, so I think that after the fact, we often find a reason for why that happened. I also once on the blog posted a uh, article from the New York Times, which ran right after the assassination of uh, the Archduke Franz Ferdinand, and um, which started World War One. Uh, <laughs> and the day after, the uh, article said that traders were saying that this is good for prospects for peace. That's, his assassination actually would, geez, uh, yeah. that they felt better because the stock market dropped yeah, on his sure. assassination and they said, oh no, it's, it's, it's overdone. Um, so I want to put a lot of faith in the analysis that comes out right away about why markets go up or down. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. I mean, <laughs> if the markets did crash or whatever, you know, he would just, Donald Trump would just blame it on Obama. I feel like in like the past administration if that and stuff sure. like that. Well, I think that's one of the reasons why people uh, do diversify is because they feel that a stock market drop is um, n- not their fault. Yeah. So if they pick a stock like NACO and it drops a lot, yeah. it drops 20% or something, that feels like they've made a bad mistake uh-huh. and they're to blame. Yeah. But everyone feels like the drop of the last few days, well, that's not my fault. Everyone's <laughs> yeah. stock's been falling. So in no it, sense, people find um, comfort in being a mo- with losing money as everyone else does. Yeah. And really, it shouldn't matter one way or the other, yeah. whether you lose money with the crowd or without. Yeah. No, it's definitely interesting. And that's what's so interesting about investing in general is just how much like emotions and psychology goes into it. You know, like the herd mentality and social mm-hmm. proof and, you we know, should. looking to confirm, you know, whatever confirmation bias and all that sort of stuff. I mean, you could just spend all day just talking about that. Yeah, we should probably um, talk a little bit about the possibility of computers because mm-hmm. it's something that people talk a lot about now. Yeah. Um, obviously, passive uh, investing strategies own a lot of the market. The, the indexing uh, and stuff. Compared to what they used to be, yeah. And um, then you also have the issue that you have computers involved. Um, that That's always a culprit that people talk about. Uh, I actually, um, someone I worked with in the past, Quan, is, uh, he's going for his PhD now in uh, uh, deep learning. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because he has this background in finance and um, helped write a lot of the singular diligence uh, newsletters that are on the website, yep. the reports on the site. Uh, but he's very doubtful about the applications of um, AI in investing. He's not doubtful about it in trading. He thinks they can be good traders, sure, better traders than human beings. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't have a lot of faith in uh, computers being good investors. And his reasoning behind that is that um, there's so few data points involved as being an investor, doing what Warren Buffett does, picking out a few key points mm-hmm. and investing big on the basis of those. And that's not something a computer is good at. No, it's, it's, it's so subjective, yeah, right? There's a human element at. to it, yeah. But if you can feed in thousands of different data points about uh, the, how a certain stock has traded in the last few weeks, few months, and he's really talking about periods that short, that it's learning how to trade based on how something is traded in maybe a few months, mostly a few weeks, mm-hmm. that it can do better than a human. No, I totally agree with that. I mean, if you're going to... You know, for example, there's a lot of people that trade the E-mini S&Ps. That's mm-hmm. like, I think, one of the most traded products in the world. And I don't know how Jeff Gannon or Andrew Kuhn's going to, you know, compete with like a Ray Dalio hedge fund or mm-hmm. whatever that has tons of algorithms that are just sitting there all day. Just, you know what I'm saying? It's just Right. But there is a concern that what is, how much has any sort of um, computer learned and certainly how much does, have most people learned mm-hmm. uh, that dates back before the last seven eight years yeah uh, a lot of people trading things uh 
don't have a lot of experience since mm-hmm. before then, mm-hmm. and that experience is not something they remember that well right now. And I doubt that a lot of computers have information about that yeah. in um, how uh, they're planning to trade things. So I think that's it, it's mostly an issue of just time um, that we're so far from times when people felt like there was a lot of risk. Yeah. Yeah. What's when you know to getting back like to the trading investing thing? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like it's so interesting to me how like, human emotion it doesn't change i mean you could go back to you know with all this bitcoin talk it, it right. I, I did more research on like past bubbles mm-hmm. and like the tulip mania right. and um you know then you, of course you had the dot com and then um the housing, housing market and then bitcoin and it's it's so interesting because you know markets could change or businesses could change or whatever at different times but mm-hmm. human emotion it just it doesn't change you know and and i guess if you're aware of that it it creates unique opportunities because yeah. prices act irrational prices go crazy and if you i guess follow more of an intelligent approach to investing and sort of understand the psychology that goes into it it could mm-hmm. present a favorable opportunity to you but you know i mean that's i mean that's this whole bitcoin and everything and um, even the market in general, just going up every single day, you know, I mean, yeah. it's just, I mean, we talk to, uh, people all the time and, and people who aren't really in the investing side, they just kind of index or whatever. I mm-hmm. mean, they love it cause it just goes up every single day. Right. And that was one of the reasons I talked about it being a bubble. Yeah. It's an amazing amount of questions to get about something like Bitcoin. You start to get more and more questions that don't have to do with price yeah. and they don't have to do with specific stocks. They're more like major trends and things. People start to get really into that. Yeah. Um, I would say most, I get a huge amount of questions about Bitcoin, online groceries, or anything that they think Amazon's about to do. Yeah. And driverless cars. Sure. And I actually wrote some about driverless cars with Progressive and stuff. And yeah. I, some people would say that I was kind of um, optimistic about the future for driverless cars. Yeah. But this is not going to affect every stock out there by a lot. And I get questions about it constantly. And Bitcoin's a good example. I've been asked, like, how can you invest in Frost with um, Bitcoin? Oh, and, Lord. you know, and the truth is I have no, I have no beliefs one way or the other about Bitcoin affecting banks. Yeah. Like, uh-huh. it's just not something um, that entered into the analysis at all. Yeah. And I can't pretend that I did uh, think about that. Yeah. I wouldn't have any idea how to go about trying to figure that out. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. It's just, it's definitely interesting. I think one day we'll look back and be like, this was definitely an interesting time and you know, if, if anything, it's just good to learn for us. So do you have any last final, final thoughts for all the viewers out there? And, you know, yeah, I think the market's very overpriced. Um, I think that this kind of decline is something that you'll see more of, but that's just because that's what history says. I mean, if we could agree on anything, it's that volatility is coming back, right? Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. I would, I would guess so, but I think you should have guessed that before this happened. Sure. And some people, and a lot of people, (laughs) you know, a lot of people did guess that, but I mean, um, Not the people that shorted the volatility stock. No, like, but that's what I mean. XIV, yeah. That's a recency thing. That's yeah. that it, that trade worked for the last year. Yeah. Not that it's worked on average for you know twenty years or something. They got smoked. Yeah, and um, and that's another thing with bubbles when you get more you know innovative products and strategies. Yeah. People develop, yeah, it gets a little. Uh, people find more complicated ways. People to lose buy money. it. People will sell it. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what you've seen before. Uh, there are some bubbles and some things. Um, I'd say the stock market, uh, Bitcoin never made any sense to me. You know, Um, and this is like my complete one-off theory. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm not even, I don't know even a ton about Bitcoin, right? But Mm -hmm. my theory is kind of that, okay, so a lot of people had this Bitcoin thing, right? They all had, uh, some people had millions of dollars on paper, right? But there really wasn't a lot of liquidity. Right. for it and there really wasn't a market for it so then of course wall street being what wall street is they sort of pumped it up 
right? Mm-hmm. And then when all these individuals got into it, all the people that made tons of money, they sort of started to scale out, sell it out to the people that, you know, who, mm-hmm. you know, just sort of create all that liquidity for them. So they got out and who was left holding the bag? The individual right you know and so i mean that's that's kind of why i was just you know that's my whole theory with why we had that run up to like twenty thousand or whatever and mm-hmm. you know and i think now it's the individual that's going to be left yeah, holding the bag usually the latest to it <laughs> but one thing you should look at is for opportunities there um for things uh that are in the wreckage of that kind of bubble because i i did find great opportunities as a value investor um related both to uh, to dot com like busted dot com type companies uh, uh-huh. that transitioned to being something else after uh, two thousand, and also uh, ethanol. There was because yeah. of the disastrous experience that some companies had in ethanol, um, which was a, sort of a bubble. I'm um, going back ten years or so now. Um, they then change into different kinds of companies and stuff. And so there'll be some companies that come out of this that change their business into something that get rid of names that are related to Bitcoin. You know, mm-hmm. there'll be things that are. Um, just like you have things that want to change their name to things that have to do with um, cryptocurrency stuff, you have that with .com. You would just add it to your name. Yeah. Well, some of those went on to be legitimate businesses later, <laughs> yeah. right? Sure. We talked about NIC. We did not mention that NIC, which is what, a $13 stock now? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. It 12, was, 13, I think, yeah. about a $100 stock in 99. Yeah. Yeah. And it did not make any money as far as I know until about 2002. <laughs> Yeah. So um, that's something, but that's a legitimate company that came out of that. Yeah, sure. And yet it would have seemed like not a legitimate company in the middle of the the dot com craze mm-hmm. and wasn't a legitimate stock at a hundred. Yeah. You know, so there are, there are things that are opportunities there to look for after a bubble has burst. That's when value investors should get interested. Buying a dollar for 50 cents. Mm-hmm. Isn't that what they say? Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Well, um, you know, I think my last thoughts is to everyone is of course, just, you know, remember, like I said, that, markets move faster than, you know, real businesses do. Um, if you feel confident in your due diligence and that a company is going to be bigger, you know, two, three, four, five years into the future, even 10 years into the future, um, you know, embrace, I don't want to say embrace the volatility, but just it, don't be scared of it. You know I mean? If you have cash on hand to be able to load it up, if, if you feel certain about a company's future prospects. Yeah. And I just say two things. Uh, one, I keep saying that I think the market's in a bubble. Uh, I'm actually 100% invested. <laughs> yeah. So the two aren't mutually exclusive. Yeah. So, but that's but that's exactly it because you've done the 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 the, uh, the, <laughs> the due diligence on the company. Yeah. I you know where you feel confident in its long term durability. Absolutely. I'd never be 100% invested in the S and P. Yeah. I'm not suggesting people go out and put 100% <laughs> in an index fund right now. Yeah. But I'm saying if you can find three or five or ten stocks that you really like and know that you'd hold. But the other thing I'd say as a real exercise for people listening to this is get out a yellow pad. A paper and um, look to really write down the st- stocks that you own. What did you feel the most comfortable with in this drop at the top, and what you didn't at the bottom? Mm-hmm. Because when it comes time to want to trim your portfolio, you want this is the kind of time that gives you a gut check that makes you have to be more honest about your emotions about some stocks. You do not want to hold businesses that you don't have confidence in. That's very dangerous because you will uh, you'll buy buy and sell them at bad times. Your timing will just be awful with something like that. So you, if you do want to trim things, make sure that you trim the things that were the ones that made you most concerned, give mm-hmm. the least confidence in. And this is something that actually might have forced you to feel those feelings and mm-hmm. be more honest with yourself. When it's go, when everything was going up 25% over last year, 
there may have been some stocks yeah, in there that like, you yeah, didn't feel that great about. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Yeah. But now is the time to think, oh, can I trim this to more of a portfolio that's all stocks that I really have a lot of confidence in, even if I had to hold them uh, in a down market? No, I think that's that's definitely a, a great point. Well, I want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight. This was sort of a special podcast that we thought uh, we could just sit here and kind of ramble on and uh, give our thoughts and of what's going on in the market. Um, obviously, you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast. Uh, feel free to subscribe and use the the podcast. The word podcast is the promo code to get $10 off your monthly subscription price forever. And we will be back on track this next upcoming Monday with a new uh, podcast, and we will see you then.